Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You know, we have to find a way to steal ourselves for this new reality. I mean, the shadow only grows. I know today that we're being told that this spike in the death toll is potentially a sign that we're reaching an apex. Is that true? Should we really be investing in it that way? We're going to take a look at that. And we're also going to look at what we now know for sure, which is how this is impacting us around the country and what that should be reflecting in our leadership. This Wisconsin primary today, it's not a political story. I don't even understand it as a legal story, to be honest with you, Coop. Um, It is a really sad reflection of us not being on the same page of the reality that we're dealing with. Um, So I thank you for telling the lives, the stories of the lives of the fallen. It's so important in holding us together because every number we tell people, there's somebody behind that number. So thank you, brother. Appreciate it. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Prime Time. Thank you for joining me uh, as always. And I want to show you these images uh, from Wisconsin. Can you imagine having a risk standing next to somebody in my condition because you want to exercise your franchise to vote? Wisconsin is under a stay-at-home order, okay? There are a lot of cases there. It is growing. They were not allowed. They lost decisively on two different layers of courts, uh, state court and Supreme Court, to extend absentee ballots just for a few days in the height of a pandemic. Who wins in this? What value wins? Because the opportunity for loss is obvious. Now, as a political reality, the polls close there. Joe Biden is with us tonight. What does he think the right thing is for the country right now? Why did he have this phone call with President Trump? What was the point of that call? And of course, the big question is I teed up with Anderson. Are the most deaths in a single day, is that really a good sign for what is to come? It has to be time for truth. We don't have time for any more BS. Too many are sick. And the remedy is straight information, realistic plans that you trust, and us using that to tap into our national superpower. No one comes together in crisis like America, but we only come together when we're on the same page. So together as ever as one, let's get after it. Numbers are nothing out of context. 1,736. What does that number mean to you? It'll now mean, at least for this day, the most deaths that we've suffered in a single day so far. So why is that event a basis for our leaders to say, that's a good sign? Is it fair to say that this is the most deaths that we will see on any day? Why or why not? The last thing anybody needs is more BS. I know, I hear you. You're reaching out to me from all over the country. You have just one request that all the games end. You've always seen through them. And you tell me the only thing more more sickening to you and this collective than the virus is being lied to about what's going on. I know. So 
let's expose something that you've been lied to uh, for about for too long. This, but the swine flu BS. It took a year for that virus in 2009 to claim the amount of lives we've lost in less than two months. Do you understand that now? Do you understand that how quickly something can kill you is a direct relationship to how threatening that thing is? Stop ignoring the facts for political advantage. Get real. The past is over. There can be no more letting politics reinforce our worst instincts. We need to build on our best instincts. And that said, while I'm asking you all to do that, the man at the top refuses to change. You said within a couple of days, the cases will be down to zero. Well, the cases really didn't build up for a while. But you have to understand, I'm a cheerleader for this country. I don't want to create havoc and shock and everything else. I'm not going to go out and start screaming, this could happen, this could happen. That's exactly what leadership is. Anybody can tell people what they want to hear and make it easy. And then you know what you get? Exactly where we are right now. That was the most asinine statement of leadership I have ever heard. And I can't even dismiss it on the president having 102 fever like I do because that is clear thinking from him. I'm a cheerleader, so I'm going to lie to you about the realities that your parents, your loved ones, and your kids face. I'm not gonna prepare the way I should because it reinforces the bullshit I'm telling you, and I'm gonna hope that you're okay with it. We've gotta do better than that. This president must do better than that. The good news is he can. The bad news is he refuses to, and that I have no answer for. He said we'd be good by Easter. On Easter Sunday, you know what? I will be sick, and I will be sick for some time to come. And somebody telling me something else doesn't make me feel any better. It makes me feel worse about them. I demand the truth for my situation. I demand the truth for you as well. Again, too many of us have parents, loved ones, and kids in the balance. So let's bring in Sanjay Gupta and get some sense of what is real And what people want us to believe is real. And we can't have any difference between those two things. Sanjay, thank you for joining us. I know we had some trouble with your shot, but it's okay now. Um, It is counterintuitive to hear that the most deaths on a single day could be a good sign. Right. I mean, when you get to this peak, I mean, you know, that's what they're sort of predicting here, uh, the number of deaths. And it's 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 jarring, I think, for people to see those numbers. I don't know if we have the actual models. We can put them up as I'm talking. But I think it is jarring to obviously look at these numbers and try and remember that, uh, you know, these are obviously uh, a lot of the stories that you and Anderson and everyone else have been telling. If there's any good news, and this is one model, Chris, there are many models out there. Someone once said that all models are wrong, but some potentially are useful. This is a useful one. This week, it shows that the number of total deaths uh, potentially lower, around 81,000. 
766 compared to 93,000 some, 11,000 fewer deaths. Why? In part, e even though the peak uh, deaths go up on that day, it may be a shorter peak, Chris. That's the thing. We are starting to see states that are peaking uh, perhaps sooner than uh, the, the modelers of this model originally thought. They're also looking at other countries around the world, Chris, to sort of inform this model and looking at countries where they've also already seen the peak in Europe, for example. They were already basing some of their data on what was happening out of Wuhan. And when they put this all together, it shows a slightly different picture. It shows that the peak is um, going to come a little earlier in these places. The number is going to be higher on that particular day. Uh, and that particular time frame, I should say, may not be a single day, uh, but then uh, comes down uh, more, more quickly as well. That's what the model shows right now. It's predicated, Chris, on the fact that we all stay at home the entire country. And as you know, we're not all doing that yet. It's also predicated on the idea that that stays in place until the first week of June as well. As you know, uh, from a national standpoint, uh, the stay-at-home orders are really only in place until the end of April. So we'll have to see if that changes, Chris. Mm. Well, th those are two really important uh, factors. One is this is only as good as the continued acceptance of the uh, self-isolation. That's important for people to know. So it's not going to be good for us automatically if we don't keep doing what we're doing. And secondly, there's an outbound um, time frame that a lot of people haven't accepted yet, which is June. And if it doesn't happen until June, if it ends in May, then what? Well, you know, the, the way that they, they, they do these models, where does this come from? You know, the end of May, early June, it's basically looking at, and again, I, I, I don't want to sound too clinical with these things, but it's looking at the number of people who are dying per day. And keep in mind, what's the trajectory? People get diagnosed first, so the confirmed infection, followed by a certain percentage, a small percentage of them that are going to need to be hospitalized, and then a smaller percentage of them that end up succumbing to the illness. So they're looking at this sort of late, this last stage here, how many people are dying in any given day. And uh, the way Chris Murray and the folks at the University of Washington have said, when it drops below 60 people per day, then uh, we start to think about the fact that we have this, this uh, infection under some sort of control. We can isolate those people. We can contact trace. We can do all those things. And we can talk about uh, lifting some of these stay-at-home orders. What happens if you don't? Well, the numbers don't come down that low, Chris. It just takes longer to get to that point. So you have to stretch out uh, the, the, the stay-at-home order sort of uh, length and you worry that you're going to have a rebound, a resurgence here. So we always look at this in terms of this curve. And that's a nice curve if you, if you can, can abide by that as long as it stays below what hospital capacity is. But if you start mm -hmm. to see this where it's going up and down, obviously you don't want to see that because you could have several peaks then again within one, within one country here in the United States. You know, we got a weird paradox working right now where the closer you get to the clinical community, the less they know and the less they want to project. They can't even tell somebody yes. like me what course of, of symptoms I'm on and what duration it will be. And um, I'm not criticizing in any way. I'm saying that the closer you get to the science on this, the more doubt there is. The closer you get to the politics, the more enthusiasm there seems to be that this is going to work out the right way. And I have to tell you, that is a very uncomfortable mix for me, Sanjay. And that's how you got what we saw today in Wisconsin. I know you're not a political analyst, um, but the idea of someone standing next to someone like me in Wisconsin to vote today with a stay at home order in effect What's the chance that pictures like these yielded no new spread? 
Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, we are going through something as a, as a country, as a world, and it's, it's different times now. I think, you know, people uh, obviously uh, uh, are trying to balance this stuff and, and, the, and the science and the public health community, uh, scientific community, public health community are pretty clear about this. You can't do that right now. I mean, I know that people are trying to maintain some sort of social distance, uh, physical distance from each other, but, you know, it's impossible probably. There's so many objects that are being touched. There's so much. It's impossible to maintain that social what distance. What does six in, feet in, do, in, in those Sanjay? If we're six feet apart, if we're six feet apart and I go like this, <coughs> what happened to that six feet? Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, the, the primary uh, guidance always, as you know, Chris, is that anybody who has symptoms should stay home regardless. I mean, the people that should even possibly be going out for any kind of essential things are people who don't have any symptoms, you know. Now, we know that people can spread it asymptomatically, but a lot less so, obviously, if they're not coughing or sneezing, which, which Chris, I have to ask, I mean, how, you know, I, how are you feeling t- today now? I mean, a- a- any better than, than last night? And I'll preface by saying, you know, we looked at your chest X-ray uh, last night, which looked okay, but clearly you have symptoms still, and it's an important point. People can have symptoms even with a normal chest X-ray. You're teaching us a lot by telling us what you're going through. How are you feeling? I feel lousy because it's nighttime, and I'm a little depressed because yesterday and today, the fever came back uh, with a little bit more gusto than it had in the past couple of days before that. And that's depressing. Um, It's hard to have a fever for 20 hours a day. Um, It just wears you down emotionally, and it makes you start to question things, even though I know all the probabilities are on my side. I know I'm not dealing with metastatic cancer here. I get it. But the less knowns there are and the longer it takes, you start to doubt, you know, and you start seeing these stories that trickle out just often enough to freak you out. Holy cow, that guy was my age. Oh, she, she's in good a shape as I am. Oh, she, she had no underlying symptoms. Oh, that kid's only 25. What happened? Dead in 50 hours. What happened? There are enough of those stories mixed with the fact that even with all the access I have to the clinical community and all these people who have been so generous with their time, nobody knows anything um, about how long this is going to take, except that you should expect long duration, chronic illness, weeks. Uh, I'm very interested to talk to Congressman Diaz-Balart tonight um, because he had symptoms two weeks ago. Now he's saying there's an all clear uh, why, you know, like what was his progress And is he still quarantining or not? What's the rule in Florida and and what this has kind of taught him about this virus? Um, So, look, I'm doing better than I deserve and I'm doing everything that I can. But it is a humbling, humbling process. And it's really made me get much more easily frustrated, Sanjay, with what I see in the reactions by our leaders surrounding. Uh, What happens in Wisconsin makes you even more upset when you're sick the way I am, because I don't want people to have to deal with this. And I don't know why we're putting people in positions of risk for no good reason. So Sanjay, thank you for asking the questions. Of course, I'll stay in touch with you. I appreciate your love and I appreciate your guidance. You got it, buddy. Keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, so the epicenter of this crisis, uh, you have devastating news, but also hopeful news. How so? How do they go together? Well, that's what we were getting at with Sanjay. So let's move a little bit closer to the source. Let's bring in the commissioner of health for the epicenter of the crisis in this country, New York State. Why are the numbers proof of optimism? What are the variables 
What would happen if New York were to hold an election right now? And given that there was an election today and this news of this phone call between Joe Biden and President Trump, did you hear about it? It was supposedly about the coronavirus. Um, why? Why did they talk about this? What motivated that call? We have Joe Biden tonight. I want his take on how we should be conducting the election and how we should be conducting truth with people right now. Um, so let's take a break and let's get to the people at the center of this. Next. Hey, I hope this doesn't apply to you. Uh, but if you're battling COVID right now, hold the prompter for a second. Um, when you have a fever over a number of days, it affects you not just physically, it affects you psychologically and emotionally, okay? You're gonna have some weird thoughts, all right? Not necessarily suicidal ideations. Of course, you gotta be in contact with your doctor about anything like that. But just be mindful that there's a good chance that you are being lousy to the people who are being best to you. I'm trying to stay keenly aware of this um, because I've been hearing about it from so many different people. And I feel my edge. I feel my frustration. And just be careful. The people around you are so nervous. Uh, they don't want to get sick. They don't like that you're sick. They don't like that they can't get you better. Don't play into that by making it worse. Be your best. I know it's hard. Believe me, I, I get that it's hard. Most things that matter in life are hard. Most things that we have to do well in life are hard to do well. So just be aware, okay? If you have the virus, I get it. It sucks. Woe is you. But think about the people around you. You will get better faster knowing that the people around you feel better too, okay? Just keep it in mind. Hopefully you're not dealing with that. I am a little bit. I'm getting a little mean from this right now. I got to deal with it. Now, my brother, Governor Cuomo, he says that hospitalizations are reaching a plateau in New York. That sounds good. But the state also saw its biggest daily increase in deaths. How is that any good? I know I keep asking this question. It's because I want to keep giving you different perspectives on it. So let's bring in the New York State Health Commissioner, Howard Zucker. Doctor, uh, thank you very much for joining us again Help us understand what seems to be a logical disconnect. Um, I heard Sanjay say, well, the models say that this high point could be just that, meaning we won't see anything more of its kind. What percentage scientific accuracy do you think that claim carries? So first, I want to uh, thank you for inviting me back to the show. And, and I gather it's been a rough couple days uh, for you, and I hope you continue to feel better and, and recover. And, and I'm sure this has been uh, a rough time. And, and I appreciate your sharing your story with everyone. Uh, it's, it's very helpful. Uh, regarding, regarding some of the, the issues that you have raised, uh, regarding this concept of a plateau uh, or whether we're at the apex, um, uh, time will tell. Uh, time will tell as to whether we've reached that point. Uh, I, you want to sort of hope that we've reached that, but uh, we don't know yet. We don't know yet, and we should be cautious. But we hear the governor of New York, uh, federal leaders saying, well, the most deaths, you know, the models say that, that's a good thing. I'm very worried about the message it sends because I don't believe what the president says, Dr. Zucker. I don't believe that people like empty cheerleading. Um, I don't think when it's this serious that that is comforting at all. So what is the balance? 
So, so I think it's, as the governor, Governor Cuomo has said, is that any death is one death too many. Right, and so we've had this uh, today. We had more deaths today than in previous days. And granted, it is uh, we we have leveled out a little bit on the hospitalizations, and it is probably that uh, there's a little bit of a delay in the number of of uh, people who have died compared to the number of hospitalizations. But I, I am still concerned, and and the number of deaths that we've seen across this country, the number of deaths we've seen around the world, uh, is 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 worrying. And uh, and this is something we have to take seriously. And obviously, the message of staying home, the message of social distancing, must be uh, uh, adhered to as much as uh, as much as possible for everyone uh, out there in New York and across the country. Doctor, uh, we're taking it as good news that the president approved your state's request uh, for the Navy hospital ship Comfort to see COVID patients. And our understanding, please verify for us, that you're going to staff this with some 7,000 people who've been hired from outside the state. Any concerns about uh, concentration? Uh, am I misunderstanding the dimensions of the ship by just assuming it's a boat so it can't be as big as a real hospital, do you have any concerns about changing the mission? So with the, co uh, the comfort ship, originally it's 1,000 beds, but it's 500 beds. Once we switch it to uh, COVID positive patients, it's 500 beds. I spoke with the, the Vice Admiral uh, this evening, uh, and we are moving forward to have uh, patients there. There are patients already there, uh, and we are continuing to uh, add more patients to, to the ship and uh, provide the care that these individuals need. Doctor, what does restarting life look like from a public health policy perspective? So I think uh, what that really uh, means is we, we, this is our new normal, and, and life is not the way we are uh, used to. We're, we're, we are uh, coming up on holidays right now. It's Passover in, in tomorrow night. It's Easter Sunday on Sunday. It's going to be completely different for uh, for, for me, for Passover, I'll be with my wife and just my two children. Uh, my mom, who's in her 80s, I wouldn't give her exact age out, but she's going to be alone in her apartment, alone. This is not what, um, is not what we, we expect. So restarting life, moving it uh, forward, is to start to get back to the way uh, we're, we're used to things, being closer to each other. And we're not there. We are not there. We need to stay apart. We need to stay home. We're not there yet. Uh, getting back to the normal way, the normal way we operate, uh, going back to work on a regular basis, uh, uh, spending time with our friends and family. That's what restarting life is. But we, we are not at that point yet. We need to be sure that, that we don't have a false sense of security uh, and we start to do things when we're not ready to. We need to be sure that anyone that's out there is safe. Uh, to be um, around others and that they're not uh, potentially going to infect others, whether they're young or old. Yeah, it just seems like any progress we're making can be undone so quickly. I wanted to just slip in one frequently asked question for you while I have you, uh, doctor. Antibody tests. Uh, it is my new life goal sure. that if there were one thing that I could achieve outside of what I mean to my family, I want to be able to give antibodies to people so they don't have to deal with this the way that I am. Um, that's my life goal is to get healthy enough to be able to do that. Um, a lot of people are telling me they can't get the tests, even though New York has developed an antibody testing regimen. Uh, is this really not up to scale yet? And if people do want to be part of it, where can they go? 
So I think we should break that down to two parts. There's the antibody test that will tell you whether you've had the infection, uh, and we are, scale, we are working to scale that up. Uh, I spoke with the FDA commissioner today about our Wadsworth lab test that we have. We're going to move forward in getting uh, thousands of those tests done each day. Uh, that's uh, uh, on the, uh, in the pipeline, uh, and that will be able to tell individuals whether they, are, uh, they have the antibodies from, uh, from of, uh, from uh, coronavirus. However, uh, what you, I think you're raising is the ability to give some of your blood, some of your plasma to help other individuals. So once you know you have the antibodies and once you know that you don't have the uh, virus anymore, then we can move forward with that. We are working with, uh, with uh, medical centers on that. We are moving forward. We have already given uh, individuals uh, antibodies and hopefully that will help individuals uh, who are sick right now. We need to look at this from all angles, from any kind of therapy that could, can help individuals because uh, of the deadly nature of this illness. Commissioner Howard Zucker, thank you very much for your well-wishing and your straight talk to the people on this show. It's as close to a cure as we have. Thank Be you well. Much. God bless. And this thank year, you. as you, much sir. or more than any, may the spirit pass over the home of you and your loved ones. Thank you very much and have a, a happy Easter and, and a wonderful holiday. Thank you. Thank you. You know, ordinarily, mishpuka, you know, Christians who consider themselves extended family of so many different Jewish people in my own family and abroad, usually you say, you know, um, have a, you know, have a good Passover, have an easy fast, whatever you want to say. But this year, you know, the story behind Passover is worth looking up and seeing whether or not the spirit of death would visit a house or not has a little bit of a different suggestion these days uh, than it ordinarily does. The pandemic, presidential politics, they're coming together. They should. Why? Leadership. Leadership. Okay, time for all the BS to go away and the fake arguments and reminding you guys so much of why you don't like one another. The opposite needs to be done. How about this move with Wisconsin? Was it the right move? Where does Joe Biden stand on the elections going forward? Why did Joe Biden think it was important for him to have a phone call with this president about coronavirus? A lot to discuss. Let's get after it. Next. Lord knows we need leadership, right? I mean, if you think about it, that question will probably be what decides this election. You got to hope that coming to the fall, there's somewhat of a return to normal state of play or what we used to know as normalcy. How we, will we remember these hard days? How will we process how we got past them if that's the case? All right, let's discuss where those questions find the head and heart of the man who says he is the best to lead us right now, former Vice President Joe Biden. Good to have you on the show as always, sir. Uh, it's good to see you, pal. I, uh, I hope you're doing better, man. You're going through a lot. I can't imagine you continue to do this, but coming from you, it doesn't surprise me. Well, look, as you taught me, uh, when you're in pain, uh, what's the best thing to have is a distraction. You know, I wish I could just sleep for the next two days and be better. But there are hundreds of thousands of people all over this country <laughs> who will tell you it's not that easy. Uh, so let's deal uh, with with the challenges that we share. And I appreciate the good word, uh, VP. So let me ask you something, just a little hypothetical. You're president right now and you're moving us through this situation. Do you think you'd have a little bit of an inclination to say, I don't know that we should have an election. It's too fragile. Can't have people out there. Look what just happened in Wisconsin. Do you think that that would be creeping into your mind? 
No, it shouldn't creep in your mind. Look, we've been through hell before. We had an election in the middle of the Civil War. We had an election in the middle of pandemic flu back in the turn of the century. We've had an election at every major crisis. We can take care of our health and our democracy. The idea of postponing an election is not possible. It should not happen. The democracy has to continue to function. We have to lead. Do you think you won in Wisconsin tonight? Ordinarily, I'd be hitting you over the head with all these exit polls and cross tabs and things that I know about people all the way down to what they like for lunch. Uh, we're not going to have anything until Monday. What's your gut? No, we're not. Well, my gut uh, is that we shouldn't have had the election in the first place. Uh, the in-person election. It should have been all mail ballots in. Uh, it should have been moved in the way that five other states have done it. It's uh, the idea didn't have enough poll workers in, what, uh, over a hundred and some polling places uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, and I, But that this was all about uh, Republican legislature pushing really, really hard to maintain and make sure they had an election because uh, I think they know that uh, low turnout affects uh, affects their interest. And uh, but uh, look, it's uh, it's been done. We're going to get the election results uh, about a, what another week or so after this. I forget the date, the 13th. And uh, I, you know, but I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I, I think if, if, it, if there is an election, if there was an election, if people, depending how many showed up, I think I will have done well. But who knows? We're going to find that out. Mm. It's interesting how context can make things matter differently. Before all this, Wisconsin yeah. uh, would have been a huge cherry race. And now you're just hoping people don't get sick uh, being forced to go out and vote this way. Thank God. God love them for wanting That's to take exactly up the franchise. Right. But but what risk? Let me ask you something. Um, uh, w when you're looking at the state of play right now, why did you feel the need to speak to President Trump about coronavirus? What was the point behind that conversation? Well, the whole thing was, you may remember, well, you maybe didn't remember because you've been feeling so badly. You're, you had a high fever at the time. It. I'm still Kellyanne, in it. Don't worry. I'm Kellyanne, still Well, no, I, I know. But Kellyanne, Con Kellyanne Conway, Miss Conway, who I don't know, I've never met, said uh, about four or five days, I can't remember the exact date, if Biden really wanted to help, he'd stop criticizing and call the president all for his help. And so my staff responded, I'm happy to talk to the president if he wants to talk to me. And uh, and we didn't get any follow up until uh, yesterday. I got a call when I was going on a show, one of your colleagues show and uh, said they wanted to talk to me. And so I called the president. I called the White House. And uh, sure enough, the president wanted to talk. We had a good conversation. I laid out what I thought he should be doing. I laid out four or five specific points that I thought were necessary. I indicated that it's about taking responsibility and being the commander in chief, being t taking on the responsibility. He asked whether or not we would not discuss the detail of what we talked about, just say that we had a good conversation. He was very gracious in his in his conversation. He uh, and uh, and so it was, uh, you know, the president. I had an opportunity to tell him what I would have done what I thought, the lessons we learned. And uh, that's what he talked about. Why is it a good thing for the American people for you guys to talk, but us not really know what happened? Well, it's not a... Uh, um, uh, he, he's laid out what happened. I laid out in my... I, I laid out the five things I thought he should be doing now. 
and uh, suggested how I thought he should go about doing. He should fully implement the Defense Production Act. He should appoint at the same time a, a, uh, a supply commander who controlled it all. He should create a bank defense production act because the big banks don't want to lend to, to small businesses. He should exponentially ramp up drug testing and he should open up a new enrollment people uh, uh, period for Obamacare. And I thought he should collect a lot more data and make it mandatory the collection of data nationally on those African-Americans who are contracting or contacting, uh, contracting the disease and dying at a much higher rate and then, than, than other folks. And then I indicated a few other things that I thought. He said, rather than us characterize what each of us said, uh, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I already had said those things. And uh, he, uh, he, was very, he was very gracious. And uh, that, that was the end of the conversation. The pandemic has changed everything. Uh, I use that as an assertion. Do you agree? And if so, how has it changed what you need to do to lead this country and what you need to convince the American people of? Well, a couple things. No, number one, um, I think that the biggest problem is the president was so unprepared. The administration was so unprepared. Back on January 22nd, he said he had it totally under control. Everything's going to be fine. On the 27th of January, I wrote a piece for USA Today saying that we've, he left us unprepared for this dangerous epidemics. He dismantled the Office of Global Health, et cetera, all the things he did. And back on the 1st, I think it was, I, uh, you know, I, I, I tweeted that we we're in the midst of a, uh, of a crisis with coronavirus and we had to act and we had to listen to the science. Then back in, again in the middle of the month, I talked to Morning Joe about the need that we had to the president's claim that it would disappear with the warm weather. I said, this is just, he can't make things up. You got to stop. I talked about in a speech, I laid out a five point plan on the 12th, what I thought we should do, fully implement the act, fully empower a supply commander, et cetera. And so I've been talking about this for some time to try to prod the president, prod them into moving more rapidly rather than slowly. The, the coronavirus is not his fault, but the way in which we responded to it is his problem. He is the commander in chief. He should be taking full responsibility, not blaming everyone, not it's always somebody else's fault. He is the commander in chief. He should organize this. I'll give you the same piece of free advice uh, that I give the, the president here on a regular basis. Everybody knows the reality in this country. Everybody knows if you're being straight with them or not, because they know the stories in their own lives and around them. Nobody exactly thought right. it was going to end by Easter. Everybody knew. And if there was a time not to lie to the American people, it's right now. Let me it's ask now. you this, former VP, not to, not to punish you uh, for success, uh, but if you were to win this election, win the nomination, win the general election, you may inherit an economy that'll make what you inherited in 2008 look like the halcyon days. Uh, how daunting a challenge with the disruption, the American fabric of what keeps us together. We are afraid in a way I have never seen before. How big a challenge are you looking at? Well, I think it's probably the biggest challenge in modern history, quite frankly. I think it's going to, it's going to I think it may not dwarf, but eclipse 
uh, what FDR faced. Uh, but like everything we've ever done, Chris, if we uh, think about it now, we are able to, we, we're the only country in the world that's taken on crises and come out stronger for it. We have an opportunity, Chris, to do so many things now to change some of the structural things that are wrong, some of the structural things we couldn't get anybody's attention on. In a sense, no pun intended, the Band-Aid's been ripped off here. Everybody now understands that we have a voting system that is not that, that is not transparent and clear and available for everyone. Everyone understands that the environment has impacted on this coronavirus and mounting evidence of that. Everyone understands that we have to lead the world. We can't just sit back because no one else will. Everybody understands we have to, in fact, not only deal with another significant increase in funding for people who need the money just to keep their homes, just to keep their apartments, just to be able to keep things going. We then have to have a reconstructed part of this, just like the Recovery Act. And in that, we can do a lot to make things better across the board, including better, being better prepared, as we suggested to the president and his team back when they took over, when they became, uh, they, the new administration came into office. We had CDC members in other countries to anticipate when viruses were going to occur. We should have had people in China. Our people stayed in China. So see exactly what the Chinese were telling us, whether it was true. There's so many things we've learned here that I think the public is going to be so much more ready to deal with some of the structural change that has to take place. But it's going to be I very, so, very difficult. But I have I incredible faith. Oh, oh, kidding a lot. No, I don't think so. But we, we're, we're not going to have to. We're going to be prepared here. Look, here's the other thing. One of the things, you know, you and I, you, I've been on your show a number of times and I talk about restoring the soul of America. You're seeing the soul of America now. Look what Americans are doing. Average Americans, they're not asking anything about, they're not talking about divisions based on race or ethnicity or any of that malarkey. What they're talking about is they're reaching out and helping everyone. Look at these, look at these first responders. Without the equipment, they're going in and they're trying to save people's lives and they are saving lives. They're, go, they're doing things that are truly heroic. The person stacking the groceries on the shelf, the first responder pulling someone out of a car crash. All these things people are doing. This is the America we know. This is who we are. This is the soul of America, and we're seeing it. And by the way, I'm not trying to be solicitous. You're the embodiment of the soul of America. You're the embodiment of it. Never giving up. Just don't give up. Never, never, never. Just get up. And that's what you're doing, and you're an example to everybody. A lot of other people as well. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's why I have faith. I have faith this is going to be really tough. It's going to hurt a lot of people. God love them. They're going to be, I, I, my heart goes out to all those people who've lost a, a husband, wife, child, mom, dad, those people who a friend of ours just had to listen to her, her, her mom die on a telephone because she couldn't go there when she was in the, and it wasn't because of the coronavirus she was dying. She was dying because of a cancer ailment. You know, I mean, these things that are, people are so alone, but look at what we're doing. People are doing yep. incredible things for one another. And that, that's who we changed. are. That's the soul of America. It really has. Yeah, everything and we changed. just have to and make it work. And, and they're giving you guys a second look. Um, I can feel it. I can see it in people's attitudes that they're giving people a second look. They're giving people in my business a second look. Um, but with that privilege uh, comes a very, very high price. Uh, you know people are hurting. You know they're scared. And you know they're listening for any kind of BS, and they're going to hear it. 
half a half a second before it escapes any politician's mouth. But VP Joe Biden, the thank truth, you very much for straight truth, talk on the show. Truth, truth, Thank you. Get well, stay pal. Stay safe. I think a lot stay about well. You. Thank you, sir. You're always welcome on the show. You're in my rosary, pal. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been good to me in the past and now. I appreciate it. Be well. Um, I told this story the other night, you'll remember as we go to break now, of uh, what the former VP told uh, me when my father passed about at some, some point in the future. The idea of his face will bring a smile to your face before it brings a tear to your eye. Uh, and I shared that with a young man, Arthur, who lost his husband, who was the ER doctor, who died knowing he was vulnerable to coronavirus, did the work anyway, got the virus, and died suddenly and in his husband's own arms. Uh, his husband, Arthur, was staying in touch with. He had coronavirus, too. Um, the VP understands pain. How will that translate to a sense of purpose? We'll see in this election. Now, look, me, I'm one of the, I'm one of the lucky ones. I got everything I need to get better on this. And most importantly, you know what I benefit from? You guys. Uh, you've been so good. Thank you so much. And this next interview I'm going to do is really kind of for me, if you don't mind. I want to talk to Congressman Diaz Ballard about how he got through the virus. What worked for him? What didn't? How does he feel now? What did it open his eyes to as a leader? Okay, he's one of the first members of Congress to test positive. He's fought through. He won. How'd he do it? Next. I don't know if you're keeping count, but at least five members of Congress have tested positive for coronavirus. The first to confirm his diagnosis was Republican Congressman from Florida, Mario Diaz-Balart. He spent the last three weeks in isolation. This week, he found out from his doctor he is coronavirus free. Uh, Congressman, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I've never been more grateful to have you than tonight. God bless you and your family. I hope that the gift of your health uh, is put to good use. Well, and Chris, and likewise, I know that you're going through some very difficult times, like everybody who's gone through this. But uh, you're an example, and I think uh, it's important, an important example that this is something that we can defeat, that we can beat. But I keep telling people, please, this is exceedingly serious. This is nasty. This is dangerous. But again, there is, there will be that light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. I know, I just want to make sure that that light is not the train. What worked for you in terms of getting you through this? Do you think it's just time? Was there anything that you did that you think helped or hurt? I, you know, it's interesting, Chris, because uh, my wife who's very healthy, but she has a, a number of pre-existing conditions. So I had decided, you know, you know that Capitol Hill is crazy. It was, it was business as usual, by the way. This is just a month ago. In Capitol Hill, we had visitors. We had people from uh, outside the country. And so you deal with so many people that I had decided because the virus was out there uh, as a precautionary thing to stay in isolation for two weeks because I didn't want to bring this this to my wife, who, again, is at very high risk. And speaking to our family doctor, Dr. Almeida, uh, he suggested that. And so this was, we had votes Friday night. I was working. I, I had meetings and we were working. I had votes Friday night. I had a scheduled flight to go home uh, Saturday morning. But because, as I just told you, I decided to take this precaution. I stayed in Washington. And lo and behold, Saturday night, uh, it was like a ton of bricks just falling on me. Headache, fever, shivers, everything hurt. Heck, even my hair, and I don't have a lot of it, it was hurting. And so, uh, but I, I was just basically in isolation. Uh, the only thing I took was Tylenol and as many fluids as I could actually tolerate because there, as you know, everything tastes horrifically bad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, and again, and I, look, and I appreciate the, 
the well wishes and the and the prayers. One feels the prayers in these moments, uh, and I think you would agree with that, Chris. Oh, absolutely. And boy, does it sight, yeah. does it heighten your sense of responsibility to the people who have put their care in you because of what you matter yeah. as, because you're an elected official, uh, what they hope for me to be able to do as a member of the media. It really heightens your sense of responsibility to these people that they put so much of their heart and their intentions into your well-being. I'll never, I'll never forget that. How many days did it take yeah. before you didn't have a fever for most of the day or you didn't need Tylenol? That's interesting because I actually, after about four miserable days or five, all of a sudden the fever went away and I thought, great, the, the worst part is over, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, next day it was back. And so that fever lasted for about two weeks. Um, and, and then eventually it, it went away and, uh, and it stayed away. But again, it was, it, it plays, as you know, it plays tricks on you, right? It might leave you for a few hours, then come back. Uh, but after those original, the first four or five days where the fever is high, then I had a low grade fever in essence for another two weeks, uh, until things started getting better. Did this sickness give you a different take on the political realities? Did you feel differently about your colleague, the governor in Florida, uh, for what was inarguably a slow hand in this situation? Now that you've had it, uh, do you think that people need to jump on this at first indication? Look, you know, hindsight, right? Uh, in hindsight, you can uh, we can be very critical. I will tell you that I've seen, and, and those videos are out there, right on on uh, on YouTube. You can see officials from every state, including New York and others, saying, "No, this is not a big deal. Go to the restaurants. You know, go out." Um, again, the world was different uh, a month ago than it than it is today, and so uh, I obviously took it very seriously, which is why I had self quarantine as a precaution, uh, so that I would not come home and and again potentially put my uh, my family, particularly my wife, uh, at risk. Um, but I understand that again, it was a different world. This is something this country and the world has not seen in basically a hundred years. Um, it's very easy to point fingers. I think the most important thing what I've focused on. Because uh, just like you, I've I stayed working throughout this process, even though there were some days that was difficult. Um, yeah. I've I've focused on trying to find solutions. I've I stayed in touch. I was in, in in conversations with the administration. I was in conversations with legislators in Congress. I was in conversations with the state officials and local officials, uh, uh, trying to be helpful. And by the way, I love what you said a little while ago about that. Now you got to make sure that you can help. And you know, I I've offered to donate uh, plasma. I think it's going to take another week before I'm eligible to do that. And I know that that's something that you want to do. And I commend and I, and I ask others who are the fortunate ones like you and I to do what we can even there to help with plasma any way we can, because um, it could save a life. Thank you for jumping that question. I think that's something you should own. Congressman, it's not easy for people to get involved. The system's not really there yet. They've got mixed priorities. They're too busy trying to figure things out that they don't know right now to get uh, as far ahead as the plasma reconstruction and serum sharing. You should own it. Uh, that, and that program may have your name on it. Uh, and it may mean more than anything else we've seen done at this point, because we've got to find a way to keep people from going through it the way uh, you and I did. And I'm so happy you are well. I've always been a fan. You're always welcome on the show uh, to give straight talk to the American people. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about pointing a direction. We got to do better than how we got here. That's why I ask. Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, the best to your wife. May she escape uh, the fate that you had to suffer through. God bless. And, and likewise, Chris, please be healthy, and I know you're going to fully recover. Oh, God willing, God willing. Um, and you know what? Listen, I only control uh, what I do. 
uh, and I don't, I don't get, uh, I don't have any set of expectation. Um, I just do every day what I can do because waiting for when makes you crazy. Congressman, thank you very much. No closing argument tonight. I'm not going to waste time telling you about what I know is wrong when what we need most now is reinforcement of what's right. I'm telling you, it's a tonic for us. A big dose next. All right, time for tonight's dose of gratitude. Listen to New York City saluting our heroes. Big city is impressive, but this is happening all over the country. Communities big and small. Look at this in New Jersey. A nurse who treats COVID patients came home to her little quiet suburb and look what she found. Janique Nobles of Montclair, New Jersey. Listen to your neighbors. They are all of us. We see you. Thank you for being our best. This is the medicine that will make us get better. Remember how many are doing so much for us. Do your part as well. That's how we get through it. Together as ever as one. Time for CNN tonight. You know what that means. (laughs) D-Lemon. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.